Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 9, verses 37 to 50. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him, so that he foams at the mouth, and shatters him, and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. This is the word of God. Well, good morning, and thank you, Andrea, for reading God's word for us this morning. And thanks to your hubby for helping to lead us into the Lord's presence through worship. Thank you, Sydney. And thank you, Pastor Ollie, for leading our service today as we re-enter our annual theme of radical dependence and actually stand back and wonder that a sovereign God might have prepared a pandemic as an intense reminder of how fragile our lives are and how dependent we have to be every single day and week and year on his provision. This morning, we're entering into chapter nine, verses 37 through 50. And as we begin, I was reading this week an article from the University of Waterloo in Canada that began to notice about 15 years ago, a rather disturbing trend in terms of student scores. About 15 years ago in this university, they noticed that their scores of their students were trending first in a plateaued fashion, flattening the curve, and then in a negative direction. Students, as they scored the classes, also began to rate their classes more negatively, specifically because of what they called the unreasonable workload of the classes. They were increasingly unable to complete assignments within a lot of time and and even though they had far more immediate access to resources through the online interlibrary loan system, 
they continue to trend downwards in terms of their score, their ability to complete their class objectives. And ironically, the concern of the university trustees was, was not actually for the students, but for the university's global ranking, which by 2018 had slipped to 173rd. By the way, NUS is 11th in the world. So in order to address the concerns of the trustees, the university initially compensated by broadening or expanding their international student intake, because clearly international students are A, smarter, and B, more motivated than Canadians. But the surprising thing about this initial initiative was that within two years, these international students were also registering scores that were trending lower. And so in 2019, the University of Waterloo commissioned a study that was published in the Canadian Journal for the Scholarship of Teaching and Learning. And the study found that those students had much greater access to resources through the internet. 49% of these students spent a significant time researching unrelated information on social media. And the most fascinating thing is many of these students indicated that this was the instructor's fault. They said that the instructor's classes were not sufficiently engaging in order to de-incentivize the off-task technology use. In other words, they would write on their response to the classes, the crushing boredom of your lecture actually kept me from the more pressing matters of my schoolwork. So I wonder if you've noticed a trend in churches. I wonder if you noticed that increasingly some church services have become like a variety show. I mean, preachers have become like comedians and worship has become a performance and church building, the auditorium, what we used to call the sanctuary, has become a little more like an entertainment center. God's people have not always recognized that divided hearts, our divided hearts, have led to a distorted focus that often distracts us from the main thing. In our text this morning, we are going to be reminded that divided hearts have made disciples who are to be students of his word, men and women who live lives of constant distraction. We're going to be reminded that just like Jesus' closest followers, we also are in need of the constant correction of God's word. So let's dive into verses 37 and 43 as we look at what life was like in the valley. So you'll recall last week we spoke of the previous verses in which three disciples followed Jesus to the top of a mountain where they had a mountaintop experience, a once-in-a-lifetime experience with the glory of God in Jesus. They heard it. They saw it. And now in verse 37, they are descending on the next day, meaning following that mountaintop experience, they had come down from the mountain and a great crowd met him. 
<clears throat> so this descent of Jesus and his disciples, this descending from the mountain has become a metaphor for a descent into the grind of a fallen world, a world full of illness and evil and unbelief, crowded with a fallen generation. And verse 38, and behold, from within this world in the valley, a man from the crowd called out, teacher, I beg you, look at my son, for he's my only child. Now that verb, look at or look upon is a very common word in the Greek language. But among the gospel writers, Luke, fascinating enough, is the only gospel writer to use it. And he uses it twice in the gospel of Luke. Once in this text and once in Luke chapter 1, when a 16-year-old virgin girl cries out, the Lord has looked upon my humble estate. And behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. In other words, this verb carries with it an attitude of hopeful expectation. It is this verb that is one of the best verbs that parents can ever use in our prayers for our children. Lord, I beg you, look at my child, notice her, show your mercy. And then verse 39, he continues this desperate father to cry out to the Lord, for behold, a spirit seizes him and suddenly he will cry out and it, it convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast him out, but they could not. It's fascinating to me that Luke was a doctor, but unlike Matthew, the tax collector, he does not specifically identify the boy's condition with epilepsy, even though it is from this verb, seizes, from which we get the noun seizure. The expectation in Old English is seizures were caused by an unclean spirit that seized the mind and heart of a child. My brother Hamish suffered from epilepsy as a child. I remember vividly him having grand mal seizures on the way to school, at school, he suffered from extraordinary stigma. And I can tell you, many of these manifestations that Luke lists, I saw as a boy in my brother Hamish. I would carry a new pencil in my pocket. And so as he would have his seizure, my mom taught me, put that pencil in his mouth. And he more than once shattered that pencil with the grinding of his teeth. But apparently it was to keep him from biting his tongue. So honestly, this text has been used through the ages to develop an unfortunate misunderstanding of epilepsy throughout Christian history. In fact, even in the 50s, my parents were advised by our family doctor to have my brother institutionalized because there's nothing we can do for him. 
And that's the feeling this father had in Luke 9. I begged your disciples to cast him out, but they could not. So in other words, while the three other disciples were with Jesus having that mountaintop experience, while they were seeing and hearing and feeling the glory of God in that place, the other disciples were down in the valley, helpless in the face of demonic power. As I looked at this verse, I was reminded of Elder Bay's devotional at our last Zoom prayer meeting. If you were there, you recalled it was the scripture in which Jesus was walking on water and Peter dared say, Lord, if it's you, call me out. Call, call this imperfect broken man to walk on the water. And the fascinating thing, as Elder Bay shared, was that as long as Peter was moving toward Christ, as long as he kept his eyes fixed on Jesus, he could walk on water. He could do what no human being could rightly do. But as soon as his eyes were off the Lord, soon as his divided heart drew attention to the distraction of the waves, he suddenly could not even float. And friends, in the same way, as long as Jesus was on the mountain, as long as his disciples were in the valley without him, they were left but no choice but to address this plea by doing everything humanly possible, and it was not possible. Can I ask you just to take a moment and consider the valleys in your own life? Every moment, consider those days when your eyes were fixed on some problem, a problem that distracted you in the middle of the night, a problem that you addressed by doing everything humanly possible to manage just to keep your head above water. And are you surprised then that you are constantly tired? Verses 41 and 43 are recorded, especially for men and women like us. Men and women, not on the mountaintop, but walking in the fallen nature of the valley. Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless and twisted generation. Twisted meaning divided, torn in two. How long am I to be with you and to bear with you? Now, to be clear, in Luke's narrative, Jesus is not chastising his powerless disciples. He was calling out a generation of divided hearts who were full of worldly distractions until their moment of crisis. And I know that the question was likely rhetorical, but because I'm a little bit like Peter, I often venture answers when none was really asked for. I likely would have dared to cry out in the crowd, how long, Lord, until the end of the age? Until you return, we need your presence. For apart from you, we can do nothing. Verse 42 tells us that while he was coming, even at that moment, the demon threw him on the ground and convulsed him, but Jesus 
rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy. There's no record that Jesus came and knelt beside him and, and put a pencil in his mouth. He didn't massage him. He didn't give him some medicine. He didn't lift him up and calm him in his embrace. Simply by the strength of his word, he cleansed that boy and healed him. By the power and authority, he both purified and healed. And then he gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty or greatness of God. This is a consistent outcome of Jesus' ministry, according to Luke's gospel. Luke 5, verse 25, when Jesus forgave the sins and raised up the man on a pallet, it says, and immediately he rose up before him and picked up the bed he was lying on and went his way, glorifying God. In Luke chapter 7, verse 16, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. Fear seized everyone who watched it, and they did what? Ran home? No, they glorified God. And here in Luke chapter 9, verse 43, as Jesus cleanses and heals this boy, they were all astonished, filled with wonder at the majesty of God. And so, friends, if we are truly as God's people, as God's gathered flock in here in Singapore or wherever you may be, if we seek to imitate the ministry of Jesus, we will do so. We will serve, not according to our gifting, but we will serve in ways that reflect glory on him. We will serve in ways in which his glory in us is obvious. So secondly, let's look at the divided hearts that were in the valley. And we may be surprised as we turn to verses 43 through 48. And there's a typo on my slide. It should be 43b, not 37b. James reminds us in his little epistle toward the end of the New Testament that a double-minded man is, what, unstable in all his ways. It wasn't just the crowd that was twisted. Jesus' disciples also struggled with divided hearts. How do we know? Because at this moment, while they were marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But what? They didn't understand. They had no idea what he was meaning by this. It was concealed from them so they might not per perceive it. But the troubling thing is, having known Jesus all this time, being walking with him for two and a half years, being his closest, most intimate companions, they were suddenly afraid to ask him. Friends, there is divine purpose in concealment. There were things, and still are some things, that God keeps from us because he knows how we idolize information. You've probably heard it many times before. 
information is power. This is the power lent to the gossip. This is why people gossip, because they have information their friends do not have. And when they come with information, suddenly they become the most influential per person in their little circle. Jesus doesn't simply share information. That's not why he's sharing this. He is seeking instead to stir up their hearts a thirst, not for information, but for his presence. I'm getting ready to leave you because it's in his presence from which comes all power and authority. And he was training them to daily turn to him with their questions. He's reminding us, you do not have because you do not ask. Friends, we often call the Bible God's word, and indeed it is. But he doesn't desire us to have an intimate, personal relationship with a book. He desires us in reading this book to turn to him, to recognize these are the very words of life. And then, fresh from that mountaintop encounter with the glory of Christ, in the midst of their marveling at all Jesus had said and done, we come to verse 46. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. I mean, Luke is being diplomatic, right? But he definitely places this text in an awkward place. Because right after Jesus predicts his death, suddenly the disciples are deep in discussion, arguing over which one of them is best qualified to be his successor. But then verse 47 says, But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, don't have to speak it out for Jesus to know what we're thinking, knowing that they were still twisted, divided of heart, he took a child, put him by his side, and said to them, Whoever receives this child of mine, if you receive him in my name, you receive me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Christ is present in the least of us, in the weakest of us. And so he who is least among you all is the one who will be great. Friends, our ambitions for influence and greatness expose a divided heart. Our desire to be the leader in our group, to the, be the boss at work, exposes a distorted focus. Now, I'm delighted to share that my brother grew out of epilepsy. Is that even possible? I've not consulted a doctor. What I do know is my mother and father prayed this father's prayer 
Daily they would ask, Lord, notice our son Hamish. Have mercy on him. And I remember the day at a dinner table, my mom announced that God has noticed. God has noticed. He has shown his mercy. And your brother Hamish is healed. That little boy is now a pastor to pastors in British Columbia. He actually lives on an island called Salt Spring Island off the coast of British Columbia. And he and his wife, Cindy, love to take walks in the bush. And every once in a while, they take a photo of the wildlife they have discovered. And this past week, while they were on the walk, they took a photo of this wood frog and sent it to me. Now, just take a look at that frog. Can, can you see the pride in that frog? Can you see his twisted heart? I mean, his chin is up, his chest is out. And why isn't he afraid of this huge giant bending over with an iPhone, taking his photo? He sits there full of big dreams, dreaming of not being a little wood frog, but being king of logs. I, I'm the kind of guy who has big dreams. I, I like to dream big. It was cultivated in my heart growing up. You can be anything you want to be. And this week, my wife reminded me that we had read a passage of scripture together from Psalm 131, written by someone who was a king and yet had quieted his heart with humility. King David writes, O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things that are too great or too marvelous for me. I don't put my persuasions on WhatsApp and circulate them to all of my king colleagues. But instead, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. For those of us who have been parents, we know that a child that is still unweaned is never fully content in his mother's arms. There's always something more they're rooting for. And more than that, they will root for more in anybody's arms. But when that child has been weaned, then the embrace of his or her mother is enough. They're fully content. They're at peace and fully calm in their mother's embrace. Friends, would we dare to be more spiritual than a wood frog? Would we say with King David, Oh, GBC, hope in the Lord. Now in these COVID days, now and forever, let us rest Calm our soul in his embrace. But now I need to land this message with two more verses. 
because there was a distorted focus in that valley. Beginning in verse 49, John answered. Answered what? He answered Jesus' statement, I'm about to be handed over to evil men. He answered Jesus' statement while they were arguing in this awkward attempt to deflect John, the best, the favored, the beloved disciple, exposes his heart with desperate deflection. Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus responded, correcting this divided heart by saying, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Did you hear that? John was the beloved disciple. He was the best of them. And yet he too had distracted his attention from that which was most important to that which the Lord cared little about. Friends, even the best of us will consistently go off kilter without the constant instruction of the word of Christ. Now I want to say a personal word because I know this year and last year we've had a lot of folks feeling liberty of God to move their membership to Grace Baptist Church. And I often say he does that by his sovereign choice because we as a body are not yet all that he desires us to be without adding those of you who have come recently. But I also know that many of you have come to us searching, looking for a better or more perfect teaching of God's word. And, and, and I fear that many of you have been broken or perhaps bruised by the misuse of almost biblical truth. And I'm guessing that there's lots of Johns, well-meaning Johns at GBC who feel like the, the church pastors and elders should make a stand against those who do not follow with us. But friends, I believe God has called us to a singular focus. I believe Christ would not call us to fight against those who do not walk with us. He calls us to have gospel-saturated hearts. He calls us to fill our mouths with the joy of gospel proclamation, to sing the gospel to one another not be focused so much on the competition so that our hearts become divided and distracted, but instead to submit daily to the correction of his word. To, like the Apostle Paul, focus on that which is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. 
That is what we want our hearts to be daily focused on. This is the first hymn book I remember in my home growing up. It was the hymn book used by all 35,000 Southern Baptist churches in North America. It was edited by a man named B.B. McKinney, who was tragically killed in a traffic accident, in a car accident on September 7, 1952. But before he died, he wrote at least 150 hymns, both the music and the words, hymns like Wherever He Leads, I'll Go, Victory in Jesus, Have Faith in God, and Breathe on Me. But the favorite hymn written by B.B. McKinney, I heard daily in my home as my mom baked bread, as she did cleaning, as she moved about our house, I would hear her singing in this beautiful mom soprano, while passing through this world of sin, and others your life shall view. Be clean and pure without, within. Let others see Jesus in you. And the chorus went, let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story. Be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. There is one very simple reflection question for us this morning. When people look at my life, when they see my heart, are they able to see Jesus in me? I want to invite you to bow with me for just a moment. And as we bow our heads, wherever you're at, as you examine your own heart, as I examine my divided heart, what do people see in me? Do they see me constantly submitting to the correction of his word? Or do they notice me struggling, anxious in his embrace, full of ambition for other things other than the gospel, other than the things of first importance? Do they hear me singing about many things or about one thing? Will they see Jesus in me or will they see me full of me? I want to invite you in this holy moment as Christ draws near to his people wherever you are. Will you cry out to him and say, Jesus, look at your child. Heal me. Purify me by the strength and power of your word. Equip in me an undivided heart, a heart that longs to be obedient to your word. Find in me this cracked part a worthy palace for you to reside. And may your glory be seen in me. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.